afternoon or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crime. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and the NFL's 100 season has now reached its final game. Super Bowl 54 between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And hell, bet, I don't think we could have asked for a better matchup. Do you? I don't think so. I think we're looking at, uh, down the stretch, the two best teams in the NFL are meeting each other in the Super Bowl, and you've got the irresistible force against the unmovable object. I don't think we could ask for a better game, just like you said. Oh, I completely agree, which brings us to our first topic, our initial thoughts on this game. And my thought is opposite styles of track. You got the San Francisco 49ers and that amazing immovable object in their defense and that amazing exotic running game and, and an offense that can be very, very explosive uh, when you need it to be. And the Kansas City Chiefs with the best quarterback in football, bar none right now, at Patrick Mahomes and that offense, that legion of Zoom, a defense that has gotten so much better throughout the course of the season so it, it's kind of like uh, opposite styles attract here with that uh, defense and ground game of the 49ers and that explosive offense of the Chiefs. But you also got two of the best, most creative play desires and play callers on offense and Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. So it's going to be a wild one. What are your initial thoughts on Super Bowl 54? My initial thoughts, David, I was looking at both of these teams and I was trying to see what is similar with these teams. And I think we look down into the trenches and we look at both of these teams, how they, uh, especially on the edges at tackle, have really built an offensive line that allows each team to have the flexibility to do what they need to do on offense, uh, both with excellent pair tackles, solid on the inside, and that lets them do so much and you see the importance of having a strong offensive line. And then on the other side in the trenches as well, um, you're looking at the strength of the, the Kansas City Chiefs, and we're talking about Frank Clark and Chris Jones up on that defensive line. And with the 49ers, I, I could spend the next 10 minutes just going through the waves and waves of talented players, the Nick Boses, the D Fords, the DeForest Buckners, the Eric Armstead how strong they are up in the trenches and, you know, really talks to both of these teams getting here for all the superstars and skill position players that they have on both sides of the ball in the secondary. It all starts in those trenches and they're built from the inside out. Oh, that is an excellent point. Football is indeed a game that is won up front, and uh, the Chiefs and the 49ers are two of the teams that have done a great job in building their offensive and defensive lines, as you said. And now it's time to play our favorite game, Truth or Exaggeration. You know how this goes. And uh, this is a special edition of Truth or Exaggeration as we will stick to uh, headlines related to Super Bowl 54. And we start with the 49ers. And the 49ers ground game, will be even more difficult for the Chiefs to stop than that of the Titans. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, I, I'm going to go with a truth only because I think um, the 49ers are just so much stronger up front, even though Tennessee, which has that great offensive line, especially uh, with their strong uh, tackles on the outside. But I think the 49ers are even stronger in the middle and uh, they're a solid unit that's been 
playing so well together, especially down the stretch. So, yeah, I'm going to say that's a truth. This is a tougher matchup, uh, stopping that 49ers ground game. Yes, plus uh, schematically, the 49ers' uh, outside zone zone stretch running game is harder to defend than the Titans' basic downhill running game, isn't it? Exactly. There's so much more built into that, so much more movement, and uh, it's not just a matter of lining up the guy across from you, holding your ground, plugging your gaps. There's too much in motion that you have to account for and maintaining gaps while on the move, it puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Truth or exaggeration, the Chiefs' wide receivers against the Niners' DBs is the biggest mismatch in favor of the Chiefs. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to go with a, a, you know, I hate to say it because that Niners' defense, we've talked throughout the season about how solid they are. Um, in all three levels, at the linebacker level and the defensive line. Um, and, you know, Kawan Williams, very good nickel cornerback. Akella Witherspoon has played very well at times. We all know what Richard Sherman brings to the table, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the truth. I think that's a, a big matchup that could swing to the Chiefs in this game. Sammy Watkins working underneath, and, you know, especially the Speed of Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman. Um, you know, if you one slip can change the whole play, and they don't need a lot of space to get open, and there's not many quarterbacks who throw the deep ball like Patrick Mahomes and can take advantage of that kind of situation. So I, I think that's the truth there as well. Yeah, speed kills, and I think that's the Chiefs' biggest advantage as far as the X's and O's are concerned on Sunday. And back to another quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo who will have to throw for at least 250 yards and two touchdowns for the Niners to win. Truth or exaggeration? Um, I'm going to say truth. I'm saying he might have to throw for 300 yards in order to win. So uh, I don't think that's enough of an exaggeration for the truth there. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, The 49ers, they didn't have to throw the ball a lot in the divisional round against the Vikings nor the conference championship game against the Packers, but... With uh, Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense, uh, we have to expect Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball a lot more and uh, George Kittle to catch the ball a lot more, shouldn't we? We certainly should. I think, you know, this might be the Chiefs have had two slow starts in a row in both of their playoff games. I don't think Andy Reid wants to put his team in the hole uh, in the Super Bowl here. They may come out with guns a-blazing and what put the pressure on Shanahan and San Francisco to try to dig their way out of a hole, and that puts a lot of pressure on their young quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. And let's go to a potential weak spot for the Chiefs, and that is their run defense. And the Chiefs will have to allow less than 150 rushing yards for them to win. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, that's a truth there as well. I might say they might have to hold San Francisco under 100 yards rushing in order to win this game as well. They really need to get, like that previous point we were talking about, get San Francisco playing from behind, force Garoppolo to, you know, air it out in order to win. It, he's done that at times this season. Um, I mean, just look back to their matchup against the Saints um, earlier uh, this, at the beginning of December, uh, big game against Arizona during the season as well. Um, but again, he, he is he going to be capable of doing that against Kansas City and and that improved secondary in Kansas City that's 
played so well down the stretch. I think they're going to try to get him into that situation and, uh, and tantamount to that is getting the lead and stopping that run early and seeing if they can get San Francisco out of that game plan. Ooh, that is a very good point, Al, which takes us to our next topic in truth or exaggeration. Uh, regardless of what the score is and who gets the ball first, the 49ers will start the game throwing it over the yard because the Chiefs are anticipating the run. Truth or exaggeration? You know, I was thinking about that, David. I, I think that has to be a truth. Kyle Shanahan is smart enough to play the game of they're going to be chomping at the bit to get after that running game and stop it early, just like I said, that that's got to be their game plan. And I think if they, you know, I just think back, uh, you know, to some Super Bowls in the past, and teams have to play against their tendencies. You have to take advantage of those two weeks and self-scout. And so for San Francisco, that might mean a lot of play action and passing on first and second down, um, playing just game planning, throwing out the entire season and game planning for just one game. And we might see a lot of that and uh, may be able to take advantage of some over-aggressive uh, linebackers and safeties uh, for the Chiefs and uh, get a couple of big plays early on for San Francisco. I totally agree, Hal. Uh, Charlie Weiss brought that up earlier in the week on uh, Sirius XM NFL Radio, and I actually agree. Kyle Shanahan is going to want to surprise this Chiefs defense early and often uh, in this game. Uh, back to Andy Reid, who should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day, regardless of Sunday's outcome. Truth or exaggeration? Uh, total and complete truth. I cannot agree more with that, David. Whether he wins or loses, we're talking about uh, a Hall of Fame coach. This is his second go-round. He, you know, built that resume uh, in Philadelphia. He certainly expanded upon it here in Kansas City. Uh, winning season after winning season, perennial playoff team has gotten close. It, it's close enough as far as I'm concerned. I think he's a, a lock as a Hall of Famer. I don't see any reason why win or lose, this is going to have any impact on his candidacy. Oh, absolutely. His resume speaks for itself, and I think he has just as strong a case as anybody to get his gold jacket uh, in the future. And speaking of gold jackets, a 49ers win means that Kyle Shanahan's father, Mike, will be enshrined in Canton within the next five years. Truth or exaggeration? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go a little with the exaggeration. Yes, you know, obviously the fingerprints of Mike Shanahan are certainly all over the coaching career of Kyle. And, you know, I think Mike Shanahan has a, a solid enough resume that he should be in the Hall of Fame again, regardless of that. So I'm going to go on the exaggeration side on that. Mike's a Hall of Famer all on his own. Whatever Kyle does shouldn't have any impact on that. Oh, I agree, Hal. Mike Shanahan definitely should be in Canton regardless of what happens on Sunday. And speaking of Canton, uh, let's talk about the 15 modern era finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2020. Um, like I said, time and time again, one of my favorite traditions of Super Bowl weekend, aside from the game, is a selection of the new Pro Football Hall of Fame class. And this year, these 15 finalists are... Troy Polamalu, Steve Atwater, John Lynch, Leroy Butler, Edra James, Isaac Bruce, 
Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne, Tony Baselli, Alan Fatica, Steve Hutchinson, Richard Seymour, Bryant Young, the late Sam Mills, and Zach Thomas. 15 deserving men aiming for a shot at football immortality this weekend. It'll be up to the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors as they meet behind closed doors for like uh, 6 to 10 hours uh, in an undisclosed location uh, in Miami on Saturday and uh, select these next five Pro Football Hall of Famers. And Hal, let's start with you. If you had to vote for five of these 15 men, who would they be and why? I mean, that's that's a tough call because I'm looking at this list and I'm saying I don't see anybody in this 15 who's not deserving. I would have no problem you put all 15 of these guys right in. I think they're all worthy. That said, looking at this group, you know, I think there's some positions that get a little bit overlooked. And I think that's, uh, I'm eyeing Steve Hutchinson, Alan Fanica, those guards that are up for uh, induction. I think they're both slam dunks there. They are both deserving. They have the longevity. They redefined that position. They really made it into a glamour position that's, you know, in this day and age, we're seeing the guards getting those contracts, the famous, the tackles, making that big money. And those two are a big part of that. I think that has to play a role. Uh, when you've got players who are, are kind of setting the standard for the position and redefining it that way. So Fanica Hutchinson, uh, put those, them in, you know, and then once you got two, two offensive linemen in, again, I, I hate to say that's probably going to bounce out Tony Bazelli, who is deserving but doesn't have that longevity. Um, Reggie Wayne, Edgar and James, I just think of those Indianapolis Colts teams. I just wonder if this is going to be one of those years where um, they kind of say, hey, why don't we wait uh, until next year for these guys and we'll put them in with Peyton possibility. So I'm going to kind of cross those two off and uh, look at another position that's got three representatives that doesn't always get a lot of attention when it comes to the Hall of Fame, and that's the safety position. I think John Lynch you talk about players that redefine that position. I'm talking John Lynch, Steve Atwater, who, you know, I think every time you watch them on the field, when you started seeing offensive coordinators becoming aware of where these safeties are on every play, that's the kind of impact that a Hall of Famer has. So I'm going to say Atwater, Lynch, they're in. And, of course, number five is the, the biggest slam dunk and probably the the biggest uh, name player at that safety position, and that's Troy Palomalu with the Steelers. He has the rings. He has the celebrity. He has the uh, longevity. He has the all pros, uh, you know, the play, defensive player of the year. He's got the full resume. He's the easiest slam dunk of that group. Why I left him for last. We are simpatico uh, here, not uh, entirely on the names, but on like the uh, composition of the of this class of 2020. <laughs> uh, um, we uh, definitely agree that Troy Polamalu is the biggest slam dunk of these 15. Uh, he uh, modernized the strong safety position for this new century. Uh, he was one of those guys that you had to point at every time he was on the field. He and Ed Reed were easily the best safeties of this young century so far. 
easy slam dunk for Troy Polamalu. And Peter King alluded to this uh, in his Football Morning in America column on Monday, uh, saying that he wants multiple safeties and multiple offensive linemen to be uh, selected from these uh, 15. And I agree with it because uh, the Hall of Fame prizes offensive linemen and has to continue doing so. And it also has to get more safeties into the Hall of Fame because that is an increasingly important position uh, the further we get uh, into the life of the NFL. And uh, Atwater, Lynch, and Polamalu all had strong impacts on the safety position. Heck, even Leroy Butler too, man. Like, how did it take it this long to get in the room? Uh, it's it's kind of puzzling. That said, Leroy Butler is going to have to wait. Uh, I have a polo model lock at Atwater or John Lynch. I would be celebrating uh, if either one of these two safeties got in because both of them uh, played for my Denver Broncos. Both of them did uh, great work. But uh, but to take the homer hat off for a while, Steve Atwater's case has been gaining a lot of momentum in recent years. And John Lynch's momentum has kind of stalled. And based on uh, what Ed Reed said about Steve Atwater, he said that he was the most physical, hard-hitting safety he's ever watched. And coming from the best free safety of all time, uh, that uh, speaks volumes. And uh, how he was a staple of that Broncos defense for many years from the uh, late 80s and early 90s to those uh, super, those Super Bowl teams with uh, John Elway and Terrell Davis. Uh, that Super Bowl team that helped uh, keep Brett Favre in check um, in Super Bowl uh, 32. And... Uh, and he was, uh, it, it, not just in terms of his physicality, but his speed and range, uh, he was kind of like an ancestor to the Earl Thomases of the world today. And I expect Earl Thomas to be in the Hall of Fame uh, sometime in the near future. And uh, Steve Atwater uh, like was kind of one of those first in that part of breed of safety. So I would put Steve Atwater and Troy Polamalu in at the safety position. And it's not necessarily because I'm a Bronco summer. It's uh, based on uh, the evidence uh, of who, who has momentum and who is stalling and uh, and where they um, align in NFL history. And uh, with the offensive lineman, I am a big Tony Baselli fan, and I am an enthusiast of of getting the longevity bias out of the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, nomination process because it's the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of Longevity. And in Tony Baselli's like five or six years playing, he was easily the best at his position. Like you watch that wild card playoff game with the Jaguars and Bills and uh, – January of 97, he shut down Bruce Smith that entire friggin' game. Bruce Smith, the NFL's all-time sack leader, neutralized by Tony Baselli. He was uh, easily the best at that position, even if it was for a short time. We got to get Tony Baselli in. And Fannica and Hutchinson, um, one of them has to get in this year, and whoever doesn't get in uh, this year will get in next year. I actually met Steve Hutchinson at the Senior Bowl last week in Mobile, Alabama. Very Ooh. nice guy. Yeah, he and Fatica, it's kind of a toss-up, but I think I'm going to have to go with Hutchinson because this class already has three Steelers headed into it with uh, Troy Polamalu and uh, Bill Cower and Donnie Shell as part of the Centennial Slate. Three Steelers is enough. Got to uh, add some more variety and get Steve Hutchinson in the Hall of Fame. So Polamalu, Atwater, Hutchinson. I think it's Isaac Bruce's time. As much I love Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt, but Isaac Bruce uh, became only the second player in NFL history in his career to get north of 50,000 uh, receiving yards, and I think he's still in the top five, top seven at all-time receiving yardage. It's it's long overdue to get Isaac Bruce uh, in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, and now let's uh, look at the other uh, def- defenders uh, on this list. Richard Seymour. I... 
don't think he'll get it this year because it took a while for Ty Law to get it, but I think he has to get it very, very soon because we have to start honoring uh, members of that Patriots defense from the early 2000s. Like before Tom Brady became the GOAT, uh, he was learning with a historically elite defense and Richard Seymour was arguably the linchpin of that defense because he was uh, the, the man in the middle on that defensive line and that's where it all begins for a Bill Belichick defense. So Richard Seymour, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he got it this year, but I since it took Ty Law a little while, I don't think he'll get it this year, but I think he should definitely get it with the next two or three years. Bryant Young, another underrated player for the 49ers in the 90s uh, and that Super Bowl team in 1994, but I don't think uh, he gets it this year. The late Sam Mills, those don't patrol defenses with the Saints with him, Ricky Jackson, Pat Swilling. uh, That was a very underrated unit, which uh, Vic Faggio coached at the time. And uh, that unit should definitely get more love in the years ahead. And Zach Thomas, so with uh, his production, oh, yeah. equal identi- uh, equally identical to Brian Urlacher, who went in a couple years ago, he is should definitely be on the short list of people to enter the hall in the next two or three years as well. Uh, uh, but uh, I think you have to give one of the other spots to either Edra James or Reggie Wade, because uh, one of them will have to go in with Peyton next year. And uh, Reggie, I think, is more likely going to have to wait one or two more years. So it's kind of, I'm stuck between Edra James and Richard Seward, Zach Thomas, man. It is very, very hard to choose uh, one of these three. But Edra's been waiting much longer than the latter two. I would put Edra James in as my fifth uh, Hall of Famer this year. So Troy Polamalu, Steve Atwater, Edra James, uh, uh, Isaac Bruce, uh, well, hey, I lost track. I, I put six in, only so five. So, uh, so screw it. So, so yeah, Edge, you're going with paint next year. Uh, Tony Baselli, Steve Hutchinson, Troy Polamalu, Steve Atwater, Isaac Bruce are my picks. Oh man, I'm getting so excited about the Super Bowl. I kind of lost track here. Oh my God. And now let's. That's uh, what I was telling you. Oh, it, there's just too many. It's like you know, you could put Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce in together, and I'd say, yeah, no problem. I think it's great. There's two Hall of Fame receivers playing together. It'd be a beautiful thing for the city of St. Louis, you know, to to see something like that. And like we talked about, offensive line, sure. Right, the linebackers, Mills and and Zach Thomas, who really became the you know that next wave of they weren't just run stuffing inside linebackers. They contributed in coverage. You know, they were able to blitz. They did so many different things. And you see these linebackers that are modeled after them today. And, and like you said, Richard Seymour, you know, it's tough for a two gapping defensive tackle to be the, you know, the standout player on a defense, but he was had just such an impact and his ability to, you know, transition to the edge as well. And, be one of those first guys that bounced outside and, and rushed the pass or on third down as well and, and just had an impact through, on the entire defense. It's it's just such a great class here and uh, so many deser- deserving players. You know, you kind of feel like this little pit in your stomach, you know, putting aside 10 of the players to only pick five. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you need uh, some position groups that kind of deserve more love than others uh, in, in this day and age. As great as wide receivers are, they've traditionally had to wait uh, longer waits. So, uh, and, uh, 
And it's a juggling act. I'm at a loss for words, man. I do not envy the selectors position uh, tomorrow. They have an absolutely brutal task ahead of them. And no wonder it's going to take six to eight hours of deliberation to agree on a final five. And now let's move on to the 2019 final NFL awards tomorrow night. On Super Bowl leave, uh, along with the new Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2020, the 2019 NFL awards will be revealed. But Hal, let let let's have you and I make some choices here uh, for all these honors. Starting with MVP, it's hard to go against Lamar Jackson. Yes, uh, he uh, uh, was exposed. He and that entire offense really were exposed in the playoffs, but. To have an electric season like that, that that was just unheard of. To have it be consistently dominant week in and week out and win uh, 13 games. Well, they did win 14, but that was with uh, Robert Griffin III. But still, I think Lamar Jackson's still a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, most valuable player. I can't picture Baltimore having the season that they did without that. Uh, performance by Lamar Jackson. I think if there was anyone that you were going to say that could nose in and steal some votes, maybe Patrick Mahomes, um, but you know, where he was banged up this year, um, you know, Lamar just grabbed that spotlight and, and he has been, I mean, you just saw throughout the season, he was that offense there. I mean, when you talk about most valuable, I mean, just, he just, just personified what that means. So I think slam dunk Lamar Jackson MVP, definitely. And now it gets a little interesting here. Offensive player of the year, so many choices, but I decided to go with my man, Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints. This year he broke Marvin Harrison's single season record for receptions, and he just might be the most complete wide receiver in the game and how he fell so far in the 2016 draft all the way to the mid-second round just because he didn't run a fast 40 time will forever confuse me until I take my last breath on this earth. Michael Thomas, he has added years to the career of Drew Brees almost single-handedly. Give me Michael Thomas for my Offensive Player of the Year. It's tough to argue with that one. I, I, I really... Stretch my credibility if I go against him, and uh, but thousand yards rushing, thousand yards receiving, fifteen touchdowns, uh, you know, and talk about being, you know, when you talk about most valuable, I mean, talk about carrying an offense. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I think, just had a fantastic season in Carolina. Um, you talk about an offensive player of the year. This was a one-man show if there ever was one uh, outside of Lamar Jackson. So offensive player of the year, I'm going to lean to Christian McCaffrey. I can't argue against that either, Hal. And for defensive player of the year, lots of great choices. T.J. Watt. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, uh, even Aaron Donald, uh, who despite getting doubled or tripled, he still got 13 sacks for crying out loud. But I got to go with my man Shaq Barrett. Like, he came out of nowhere this year and almost single-handedly took that Buccaneers defense to another level as the uh, NFL's uh, 2019 sack champion, man. Uh, and he was getting extra attention, but he was still able to get home all week long. And this uh, coming from a guy who didn't really get a chance to shine given the players he was behind in Denver. And now he got his opportunity, and boy, did he deliver. And he's about to cash in, literally and figuratively, big time. So Shaq Barrett's my defensive player of the year. Yeah, another name just to throw in there as well, 
Chandler Jones, 19 sacks in Arizona and a big part of the, the bounce back in the desert there. But uh, I'm going to take the homer pick. I'm going to go with Stephon Gilmore. I mean, talk about redefining the shutdown corner and just the impact that his play had on taking pressure off the other 10 players on that New England defense and allowing them to have such a strong season as they did. I mean, Gilmore was just, you know, underneath trying to go up top. It didn't matter where you were. He was stuck like glue. He was a true shutdown corner. He followed the number one wide receiver across the field for all 16 games. He was the true number one uh, not un- unseen since the days of uh, Darrell Revis. So I'm going to go with Stefan Gilmore, Defensive Player of the Year. Yep, there's a equally as strong an argument for Gilly Lock as there is for Shaq Barrett. And now, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Hal, who do you have? Oh, you know, he didn't just carry the Raiders' rushing attack. He carried my fantasy league team the entire season as well. So I'm a little biased. I'm sorry, Kyler Murray. I could easily make a a case for you as well. Um, But I'm going to go with Josh Jacobs, uh, start to finish. You know, he was the top running back in the draft, and he was the star of that Raiders offense there as well. Um, Slam, you know... uh, some good competition from Kyla Murray, but consistency-wise, i got to go with Josh Jacobs. That's the Saponico alert. I got Josh Jacobs, right. too. I was uh, kind of thinking about A.J. Brown, but A.J. Brown didn't explode until the second half of the season. Josh Jacobs uh, came to play from week one on. He was the centerpiece of that Raiders offense. Uh, he was the straw that stirred that drink. Uh, the threat of him in both the running and passing game to set up the play action for Derek Carr to find some of those weapons in the passing game. It all ran through Josh Jacobs from week one t- until he got hurt. So Josh Jacobs for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And also he was playing through a fractured shoulder for crying out loud. What a warrior. Yeah, and uh, this guy I think is uh, only going to have some more exciting years ahead as the Raiders move to Vegas. And Defensive Rookie of the Year. No-brainer, Nick Bosa, the best defensive prospect uh, in the 2019 draft class. Uh, he, um, We could talk about this 49ers defense all we want. Yes, it, they have amazing talent at all three levels, but I think the addition of Nick Bosa single-handedly took this defense from a good, great unit to an elite special unit. So Nick Bosa, easily defensive rookie of the year for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think that's one of the easiest slam dunks in the awards. I mean, forget about defensive rookie of the year. I mean, he's one of the best edge rushers, period. You know, I mean, you could make a case for him, um, you know, for defensive uh, MVP, defensive rookie of the year, uh, defensive player of the year as well. He was just that dominant. You know, you just don't expect guys to come into the NFL and dominate like that on defense like he did. And, He's a huge reason why 49ers are where they are uh, on Sunday. And now to comeback player of the year, I was thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo, but since I already had uh, one of his Niners teammates on this list, Nick Bosa, I decided to diversify a little bit and go with Ryan Tadhill. Yes, I think Jimmy Garoppolo has had a very, very good season, if not excellent season in some metrics, but Ryan Tannehill, how the Dolphins just kind of cast him aside and traded him 
and the Titans uh, initially had him as the backup to Marcus Mariota, but as the rumblings became louder in training camp that uh, they wanted to see him start at some point this year, uh, we were thinking, all right, he's going to get another chance, but uh, it's uh, he might uh, be the same Ryan Tannehill that we saw, how wrong we were. Ryan Tannehill, since he set foot in that huddle as the starter, the Titans were the most effective efficient offense in the National Football League, and he helped carry that team all the way to a conference championship game. And yes, uh, he needed Derrick Henry's help to to win in the playoffs, and he couldn't play catch-up with with Mahomes, but still, uh, to have the kind of season he had this year and help a team uh, who was nowhere uh, through the first six weeks with Marcus Mariota and add a jolt to that offense and play the best football he's had in his entire career to date, I just couldn't go against Ryan Tannehill for comeback player of the year. Yeah, it, it's tough to choose against him, David. You know, um, you know. At the same time, I think there's only one other player that can uh, warrant that award, just because of the impact he had on the team and the offense around him, and how he elevated the other players um, in key positions. And I think that has to be the return to health and full season out of Dalvin Cook and just what he meant for that Minnesota offense and how we saw Kirk Cousins flourish when he had that solid running game around him and just the impact he had, uh, 13 touchdowns, 1,100, whatever yards rushing, 50-something receptions. I mean, just all around a huge comeback season for Dalvin Cook and, and really not only just coming back but fulfilling that, you know, being what he could be uh, and what he needed to be for that team. Uh, such a huge impact for, um, <laughs> for for Minnesota. Oh, absolutely. And uh, that is another excellent choice for Comeback Player of the Year honors. Uh, I had him in this category uh, earlier in the season, and I don't fault you for sticking with Dalvin for Comeback uh, Player of the Year. Fantasy Player of the Year. I think I'm going to go with your Offensive Player of the Year, Christian McCaffrey, as Fantasy Player of the Year. I had the first pick in one of my fantasy drafts uh, this past uh, fall, and Christian McCaffrey was my number one pick, and I didn't regret it one bit. He single-handedly um, raised the floor for my team's point total every single week and gave me a chance to win every single game, and I think all of Christian McCaffrey owners can say the thing. Fantasy Player of the Year, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, it's. I, I think that's a slam dunk. I'm going to sound that simpatico alert here. Beep, 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 beep as well, David. Um, you know, I, my uh, in my family league, my best friend ended up with McCaffrey with the number two overall pick. Um, I'm not going to throw my son under the bus for picking Saquon Barkley first. Oh, I'm sorry, I just did. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, McCaffrey, you know, fantasy – owner's dream to have a bell cow running back who you knew was going to get 20 plus carries a week was going to get almost 10 targets a week in the passing game and and in a ppr league i mean he just put up insane numbers week after week after week and now to our breakout player of the year and the beauty of this award is that there are so many good choices and not really a wrong one it's kind of like the hall of fame earlier like any one of those 15 guys can make it we have like a 20 or 30 guys we could talk about for this honor hell who gets your honor for breakout player of the year man that is uh, 
You know, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to pick the breakout player of the year because you really, like you said, you know, I mean, you could you could throw a rookie in there, you could throw a second year guy. You've got guys who are who are breaking out in their second, third season. There's just it's it's just an overwhelming number. I have to go back to to Shaquille Barrett just because I think it's a breakout. It was the one that just came out of nowhere more than anything else. And you talk about a player finally putting that talent together and just a fresh new environment and, um, you know, thinking about all the money he's going to make this offseason. I'm going to go with Shaq Barrett for that one as my breakout player of the year. Uh, My breakout player of the year, uh, I might do a little bit of a homer pick here. I'm going to go with Cortland Sutton. Uh, When the Broncos took him at 40 overall in the 2018 NFL draft in the second round, uh, I immediately thought, uh, another Alshon Jeffrey at best. And Alshon, it's not a diss against him. He's a a good player, but he's not great. He's not elite. Alshon's almost like a one-trick pony. All he does is like uh, contested catches that he needs a scheme and setups to uh, get him the ball other ways uh, because his route running is just awful. And I thought Cortland Sutton would end up as a similar player at best, but he showed me that he is much more than that. Not only did he dramatically improve his route running, he was able to score six touchdowns and have north of a thousand receiving yards with three different quarterbacks in what was a uh, one of the NFL's most putrid offenses all season long. And just think, if he gets more of a rapport with Drew Locke in the offseason and they get more competent bodies around him, he's just scratching the surface, man. So Cortland Sutton is my breakout player of the year. And now we go to most improved player of the year. I'm sticking at the wide receiver position. Can anybody think of a guy who's had the career Devontae Parker has? Like, he was a bust the first four years of his NFL career. Heck, he only had like a 300 receiving yards in, in 2018. And this year, with Adam Gase gone, he had the fifth highest receiving yard total in the entire National Football League on an offense that was void of talent as well. Devontae Parker, hard to go against him for most improved player of the year in my view. Yeah, I mean, uh, you kind of stole that one from me there, David. So I'm just going to uh, switch this up just a little to somebody else who is on a personal level because I for sure, you know, had bust written all over this guy coming out of college and that's Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen. And just the, the improvement that he made over his rookie season where he looked like he couldn't do anything, but tuck the football and run um, the strides that he's made in game management, uh, the strides that he's made, improvement in his accuracy, his intermediate passing, and just his ability to close out wins and, you know, know when to to tuck and run, know when to throw the ball away. Um, Just such an improvement that, you know, I I certainly didn't peg Buffalo as a playoff team coming into this season. So I've got to give uh, a huge tip of my cap to Josh Allen uh, quarterback of the Bills and say, you know, I was wrong on that one, buddy. Uh, you you get the award here from me. 
That is another fantastic choice for most improved player of the year. And Josh Shell, wherever you are, keep proving us doubters all wrong because I was one of your skeptics uh, when you entered the NFL in 2018, and you've proved me wrong so far, and I only hope you continue to prove me wrong. And now, uh, coach of the year. Uh, so many great choices here, but I just have to go with Kyle Shanahan. How he um, stuck to his program, and, uh, and yes, he needed more talent than he had last year, but... Um, how he was able to turn the 49ers from 4-12 to 13-3 at a birth of the Super Bowl speaks for itself. He's my coach of the year, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I mean, it, I think both of these, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan certainly deserving. Uh, John Harbaugh, the, the year he had in Baltimore as well. Uh, speaking of Buffalo, I'm thinking of Sean McDermott as well, definitely deserving. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go with another coach who – who, you know, certainly got a lot more mileage out of his team than I expected. Um, we talked about the Ryan Tannehill situation and, and just Mike Rabel having the, uh, you know, the ability to, to pull the trigger and, and bench Marcus Mariota, who was a number two overall pick just a few years ago. And, you know, to see a team, a defense, and even an offense, you know, adopt that personality of the head coach uh, so rugged, um, you know, tough, you know, never giving up, playing to the whistle, play after play after play, and just wearing teams down. Uh, I think I have to go with Mike Rabel for the coach of the year. That's another good choice. And last but not least, assistant coach of the year. I wanted uh, to initially go with Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator who came millimeters shy of uh, becoming the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns until they decided to go with Kevin Stefanski after that uh, playoff game. Uh, but uh, that would make it three Niners on this list. I wanted to go in a different direction. I'm giving it to Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman. How he crafted an offense specifically for the skill set of Lamar Jackson deserves not only our praise and admiration, but also the rest of the league's attention. He essentially uh, wrote a how to do book on how to build an offense suited to your players' strengths and not the other way around. That is what great coaches do. Greg Roman did it this year. And to have defenses have a hard time and a long time to try to figure out figure it out speaks for itself. So Greg Roman's my assistant coach of the year. Yeah, I mean, that is an absolutely great choice there, Greg Roman. Just the way he, you know, um, just talk about adapting to the players around you. What a great job he did. I mean, I think I could throw out, you know, Kellen Moore and what he did as offensive coordinator in Dallas, certainly um, worthy. Uh, Eric, the enemy certainly deserves attention uh, as just like Robert Saller as well. Who's a very a slam dunk type of choice for this position as well. And the work that both of those guys did and the fact that they're being punished for their teams uh, making it to the Super Bowl and missing out on head coaching opportunities, which is, which is horrible because I think they're both very, very deserving, but I'm going to go a little sentimental with this assistant coach of the year. I'm going to go with a coach who's not a coordinator um, and actually who just retired in this last week. He's known as coach Scar around New England. Dante Scarnecchia over 30 years with the New England Patriots as their offensive line coach. And again, this season, um, seeing the, the players that he's molded, losing David Andrews in training camp at center, 
um, having to get Ted Karras ready, who was solid enough to, to center an offensive line that brought this team to, to 12 wins, moving Marshall Newhouse, who, never, who was a natural right tackle to play left tackle for a stretch with rookie Isaiah Wynn out half the season, getting Wynn ready to step in in the second half of the season and have such a strong season. The money he's made for Joe Tooney, who's going to cash in in free agency at guard. Shaq Mason on the other side as well. Um, the last chance I have to give him this award, he, he, as far as I'm concerned, he may have never been a coordinator, but he's a Hall of Fame coach. So, Coach Scar, this award's for you. Oh, absolutely. And uh, another great offensive line coach at the NFL, Mike Munchak, uh, currently with the Broncos, uh, is a Hall of Famer. And uh, if uh, Amen. He, he had uh, another bus to give him, it would be for his coaching job that he's done with the Tennessee Titans and Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, hopefully sue the, the, the Denver Broncos. But Dante Skarnecki uh, deserves a busted can because he was one of the best offensive line coaches in the history of the NFL. How he was able to develop all that talent especially undrafted free agents to play one of the most demanding positions in the entire national football league that's only gotten more and more difficult to play year after year and to spend 36 years in the nfl 34 of those with the patriots just says it all dante scarnecchia i totally understand your choice for assistant coach of the year and we're wishing a coach scar all the best as he enters retirement and the twilight of his life. And back to the Super Bowl now. Let's analyze and predict this game. And let's talk about some key matchups. Uh, I mentioned uh, the Chiefs receivers against that 49ers secondary uh, and that speed advantage they have. But here are a couple matchups that I have my eyes on. As uh, Brandon Thorne, a very noted uh, offensive line guru, uh, pointed out, who writes uh, for The Athletic and EstablishTheRun.com, uh, he mentioned these mismatches in favor of the Niners. Nick Bosa against Eric Fisher. Fisher is solid, but not a spectacular tackle, and he has some deficiencies that Bosa's game could expose. But even worse, he got the Forrest Buckner right next to him going up against Stefan Wisniewski at the interior of that Chiefs uh, offensive line uh, is the weakest leak of that line. So those two matchups in the trenches uh, could swing the game in favor of the Niners. Yeah, that, that's a great point there. Um, you know, if there is a weakness, a weakness to attack there, you're looking at Wisniewski, Ryder, right up the middle. Um, Laurent Duvernay Tardif just hasn't had as great a season as he hasn't been as solid in, uh, as he has in the past. So the, there's definitely an opportunity there. And like you said, Eric Fisher, um, you know, very good, but certainly uh, not somebody that you're going to be very comfortable with looking at. Uh, Nick Bosa head to head there, and it's not like Kansas City's. I don't think is going to be spending a lot of time keeping Travis Kelsey in to help out the tackles uh, if they can help it there. Oh, absolutely, and plus uh, the their best player on that offensive line is their right tackle Mitchell Schwartz. I have seen very few tackles in the NFL aside from Mitchell Schwartz, who have held their own against the Von Millers of the world. So uh, don't expect Bosa to line up. Uh, across from Schwartz, look for the Niners to put Bosa on Eric Fisher early and often. And another matchup uh, that strikes me when you go to uh, the opposite side of the ball, uh, the Niners' uh, two tackles, uh, Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey, going up against uh, Frank Clark. And don't forget T-Sizzle, man. That old man still has some juice. 
<laughs> yeah, that that's a great point there. You know, um, yeah, I mean, Kansas City has really uh, gotten some great pass rush there. You know, they certainly uh, have a lot of, you know, bringing in Frank Clark, bringing in Terrell Suggs, changing over that, that long-time pass rush that they had there, switching up the system that way. Certainly, but again, like we, we've talked about uh, all season with the San Francisco, if you're, you're rushing off the edge, you're playing into the strength of those tackles. And then also, you know, a look at it this way as well, Frank Clark and Terrell Suggs going up against those tackles in the running game as well. And if they're going to be able to set the edge there and uh, be able to turn those ball carriers back inside to help, that's a very, very tough matchup, not just, uh, you know, teeing off and going after the quarterback, but also maintaining that integrity on the defensive line uh, against such strong run blockers. That's a, that could be a big, big matchup there on Super Bowl Sunday. And stay with those stretches for a moment. Uh, you also got Chris Jones, arguably the most important player on the Chiefs defense, going up against Ben Garland. Mike Person and Laker Tomlinson, and they're going to have to vote two of those guys at once to Chris Jones at every play, which will inevitably free up uh, Frank Clark or Trell Suggs for one-on-one opportunities. Yeah, I mean that's where having that you know that that strong player on the inside that you know we've seen it with Aaron Donald in the past, and and Chris Jones is such a, a dynamic force against the run and in the passing game demanding double teams. Um, and again, if you're going to attack that 49ers uh, offensive line, you've got to go right up the middle on that because this ju- they're just so strong on the outside with McGlinchey and Staley that, you know, if, if you're going to find a weakness, you've got to get up the middle, and uh, that's going to put a lot of pressure there um, on Chris Jones to be able to make an impact. And one player on the staying on the inside as well, um, a lot of great play for Kansas City with that improved run defense. Derek Nandi, Mike Pennell, the veteran that they signed as well, both have been stout and strong in the middle of that defense. And if they keep playing like they have been playing, uh, that could be a big win for Kansas City in slowing down the running game right up through the gut. Yep, and last but not least in matchups, uh, we're watching the two best tight ends in the National Football League on Super Bowl Sunday, and George Kittle of the 49ers and Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs. Uh, the uh, Chiefs, uh, they might put Tyron Matthew, who had an all-pro season, uh, on uh, on George Kittle a fair amount of the time. And uh, when you look at uh, Kelsey, um, yeah, Kelsey's on near impossible cover, but my man Fred Warner... You you saw him uh, run stride for stride with Marquise Hollywood Brown down the field in that Ravens game. Uh, I think Fred Warner might have a puncher's chance to win his fair share of reps against Kelsey if put into that situation. But still, I expect big games for both Kittle and Kelsey, um, regardless of who they're up against. Yeah, I have that one circled as well. The tight ends, you know, this is a this Super Bowl is a great matchup to see the continuing evolution of the tight end as a key weapon in the NFL in this century here and uh, more and more emphasis on the tight ends. I think if I'm Kansas City, I have to put Tyron Matthew on, on George Kittle. He might give up some size, but um, 
you know, the tenacity, the strength, the coverage skills. I, I think that's, that's a must, must, must match up there. Um, and like you talked about Fred Warner, I mean, the, the guy's a freak of nature. Let's face it here. Um, he can, he's excellent in coverage, has the speed, the size, the ability, and don't forget a healthy Quan Alexander as well, who's very strong in pass coverage as well, who can help out that way for the 49ers as well. It's going to be really interesting to see which of these teams can get their tight ends going in the offense because that might be one of those keys that swings this game. Oh, you said it. And uh, those tight ends uh, are going to continue to show how much that position has evolved and increased in importance in today's uh, NFL. And now let's talk about some four potential deciding factors in order of their importance. Uh, there, These are four specific uh, categories and metrics that I think could be the deciding factors in this game. Average starting field position, red zone efficiency, time of possession, and turnovers. Uh, rank these four potential deciding factors in order of importance from most important to least important, in your opinion, Hal. Um, I'm going to say, number one, red zone efficiency. I think if San Francisco can uh, you know, make some stops in the red zone against Kansas City, force field goals, that's a huge win for them. And Kansas City as well on both sides of the ball, Obviously, if you can keep San Francisco from matching you touchdown for touchdown and, uh, you know, score touchdowns and force them to kick field goals, uh, I don't think San Francisco would be very comfortable in a 21-9 game trying to come from behind. So I'm going to put red zone efficiency as number one. Average starting field position, um, that's always a huge factor in every single game. So that's got to be number two. Time of possession, I'm going to put three only because I think it's the most important factor for San Francisco and probably the least important factor for Kansas City. Um, I think game after game, we've seen them fall behind in the playoffs. We've seen them be able to come back. Uh, I don't think Patrick Mahomes cares how long he has the football in his hands. Um, it's just not something that's going to make a difference for him versus San Francisco, who I think is going to be determined to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands as much as possible. So time of possession only because of Kansas City uh, drops to three. And turnovers, again, the same situation. I think it drops only because I think if San Francisco, there's a number, if they lose the ball a few times in the first half, that gives Kansas City such a huge advantage. But again, like I said, with Mahomes, 24 to nothing, 17 to 7, it doesn't seem to matter with Patrick Mahomes. So um, that's the only reason I'm putting time of possession and turnovers down because normally those are the one, two that you're going to see in a game as the most important matchups. But I think it's diminished a lot just because of the explosiveness of that Kansas City offense. Oh, very good point, Sal. I would have to agree about red zone efficiency being the most important. Uh, it's up to the uh, Chiefs to prevent the Niners from uh, matching the Chiefs' offense pound for pound, and it's up uh, for the Niners to force the Chiefs to settle for field goals. And uh, as like I like to say all the time, field goals only get you four points closer to losing, so whoever forces more field goals has the best chance of winning the game, most likely. And I'm going to go with turnover second because I think these are two evenly matched teams, 
and turnovers are the great equalizer in the NFL. Uh, they could swing a game um, in ways you cannot even imagine. And even with Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense, uh, a tur- I think turnovers are go- going to be the play to decide this game because uh, I expect both offenses to have more of their fair share of explosive plays in a very close game. And I think turnovers are going to be the big difference at the end of the day. And uh, time of possession is definitely number three for me because that's the Niners' best friend to win. Like the, the best defense against Patrick Mahomes is an efficient offense to keep Mahomes off the field for long stretches of time. And average starting field position, even though that's always a, a, a very important part of this game, uh, not just the Niners' defense, but the Chiefs' defense, who has, who has improved tremendously uh, throughout the year. Um, I think they're more than capable of overcoming um, that metric here. And now let's uh, make our final Super Bowl 54 game predictions. Our predictions of final score, MVP, and unsung hero. You go first, Hal. Okay, so my final score is going to give away my MVP when I give it to you here, David. So, uh, <laughs> um, final score, I hate to do this in a, you know, what could be a really entertaining Super Bowl, but Kansas City 45 to 19 over San Francisco. I'm predicting a Super Bowl blowout, a classic Super Bowl blowout here. Um, MVP, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. I'm looking at Mahomes, 400-plus yards passing, four passing touchdowns. Heck, I'll give him the two rushing touchdowns as well, uh, six overall touchdowns. And the surprise star for Kansas City, Sammy Watkins, 10-plus receptions, 150 yards receiving, and a pair of touchdown catches. You're actually not the only person I've seen predicted a Chiefs blowout. Uh, one uh, anonymous uh, NFL assistant coach uh, spoke to Mike Sando, formerly of ESPN, currently of The Athletic. Uh, Mike Sando interviewed four assistant coaches from around the NFL to ask for their predictions of the game. And one of the coaches predicted that this is kind of like uh, Super Bowl 48 between the Broncos and Seahawks, albeit in a role reversal. You got the Seahawks, I mean the Chiefs offense, being the version of the Seahawks defense in the Super Bowl, and uh, the uh, Niners defense speak more like the Broncos offense in 2013. He just thinks the Chiefs offense is that much more superior to the 49ers defense. Uh, so uh, that's what he predicted. You predicted the same thing, but I hate to bet against Patrick Mahomes, but I am going Niners 31, Chiefs 27. It's going to be very close. I see both these teams on offensive defense getting their equal share of big plays. But the MVP, I just see Nick Bosa showing you why not only was he Defensive Rookie of the Year and a serious candidate for Defensive Player of the Year as well, but as we talked earlier in the show, how he almost single-handedly lifted that 49ers defense from a very good unit to a great, if not elite, and special unit. I think he gets uh, two sacks and uh, one forced fumble. And the unsuck hero of the game, uh, I don't want to give it away here, and I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to make it my man, <laughs> Ben Garland, because I think uh, being a center in a Kyle Shanahan offense is very, very important. Kyle Shanahan, like, he values the center position almost as much as the tackle position because uh, this it, the zone scheme is where the offensive line has to move in unison and be in unison every single second of every time they're on the field. And... Uh, and he has stepped up dramatically in place of Weston Richburg, who they missed for a couple weeks. I think uh, he helps get that offensive line 
on the same page throughout the game and delivers a lot of key blocks in that running game and puts his uh, four teammates on that offensive line in best position to succeed on every single play, helping the Niners ground game to a very, very good day, which will be good enough for them to win. And now, bold predictions for Super Bowl 54. What do you got, Hal? Whew, you know, I, I don't know. I thought mine was pretty bold to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go with the Kansas City defense is going to hold the San Francisco 49ers to 60 yards or less. I might even go under 50 yards rushing in this game. Um, I, I'm predicting a blowout. I, like I said, I, I can't pick against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's the best player on the planet right now um, in any sport, I think. Uh, I'll be that bold. But the, the Kansas City defense has just that the, the trigger that's turned this team into a playoff team to a Super Bowl favorite to the most dangerous team uh, in the NFL right now is that defense and the improvement against the run up front. I think that they're just playing with so much confidence. They're playing so well together not as individuals, but as a unit. And that's really what's needed to slow down this kind of offense is everybody on the same page, everybody working in step and in unison. And so my bold prediction, San Francisco, under 60 yards. I might even stretch it to under 50 yards rushing total. I agree that Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the National Football League right now, if not all sports right now. And he's only 24 years old, and he's going to get even scarier in the years ahead. But that said, football is the ultimate team sport. And I think the 49ers have the better team. And I think they have a defense that could contain them just enough to win. And this is how the 49ers clinch victory. Former Chief D. Ford who cost the Chiefs a trip to the Super Bowl last year with that offsides penalty in the AFC Championship game against the Patriots, he strip sacks Patrick Mahomes on the final drive of the game to seal the win for the Niners. So D. Ford's revenge is my bold prediction for Super Bowl 54. What do you think? Oh, I like that, David. A redemption story late at night on Sunday night in the Super Bowl. That is fantastic. That's a Hollywood script right there. I love it. Yes, and I'm hoping for a Hollywood script one way or the other in Super Bowl 54. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, from bostonsportpage.com and fullpresscoverage.com and musketfire.com. You can catch his work at all three of those publications and follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And Hal, before we let you go here, we got to do one last challenge, Flags, for the 2019 season in Super Bowl 54. Why don't you go first here, my friend? Um, I, I'm going to put this challenge flag out there. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, this is the year of destiny. You overcame the injuries early in the season. You battled back. You, you had everything break perfectly. Baltimore upset in the playoffs, clearing your path to the home AFC championship game. The dramatic comeback. Uh, Patrick, play your game. Don't let the stage overwhelm you. I don't think it will. Just you be you out there. And uh, I think that challenge flag, let Patrick Mahomes do Patrick Mahomes things, and that offense is going to be fine. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, that's my challenge flag. My challenge flag goes to the quarterback on the other side, Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Jimmy Garoppolo, he's been getting a lot of hate recently, but look at these numbers. Jimmy Garoppolo this season has an 84.0 QBR in the fourth quarter and games within one possession. That's best in the NFL. He has a 115.7 passer rating with his team trailing, which is the best of the NFL. A 60% completion percentage on throws 15 yards or more downfield, best in the NFL. And a 154 passer rating outside the pocket, which is the best in recorded NFL history. That is courtesy of Paul Hembakidis, who is the, the producer of, uh, what is that morning show again on uh, ESPN called? Oh, Get Up ESPN. Get Up ESPN. That's the name of that yeah. show. Thank you for those stats, Paul. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, you really are a very, very good quarterback. And you showed that you could go toe-to-toe with an explosive offense in the Superdome this year. Just bring the best version of yourself out there, shut the haters up, and show us who you really are. And that is a very, very good quarterback on a great team capable of winning the Super Bowl. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to recap Super Bowl 54 and look ahead to the 2020 NFL season. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon. Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bet, this is David Cromlow saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome. <laughs>